0: And amen, you can be seated. The word redeemed, if you get into the, the uh, dictionary, and, and there's many different uh, understandings of the word redeemed, I want to focus on three that I found. The first one is to buy or pay off, to clear by a payment. I, I don't know if any of you have been able to do this yet, uh, but, but most of us, we're going to have at some point in our life a mortgage on a house, or we're going to have a car payment. And what that means is as long as you're making those payments, the car really doesn't belong to you. Neither does the house truly belong to you. There's a lien on that. And, and if you should not pay it, well, guess what? They come and they repossess it. But if you've ever had that opportunity to pay something off, you know what it's like to redeem it from being leaned on, if you will. That time when you write that last mortgage note or the time that you write that last car payment and you have redeemed that car, it belongs to you. Another uh, definition of the word redeem means to buy back. Sometimes you have something has, has gone away from you and you buy it back and you've heard me tell this story but for those of you that haven't, uh, you see me drive that, that old white truck, my 1992 GMC Sierra pickup truck. My mom and dad bought it, it was their first new car uh, that they had ever bought in their life. They bought it in 1992, my dad purchased that. In 1997, when I graduated from Bible college, or graduated from high school rather, my dad gave the truck to me, and I was excited, and I drove it all over. In 2001, my wife and I had gotten married, and we were going to be be evangelizing, and I was we were buying a 34-foot fifth-wheel travel trailer that we were going to live in, and we were going to travel, and we would pull that behind uh, our truck. And, and we lived in that trailer for three and a half years. Well, my little white truck was not powerful enough to pull that. And so I was going to have to get a new truck. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I, I, I found a truck I want. And uh, it's a little bit bigger, a little bit beefier truck. It can pull the trailer. But I got to sell the white truck in order to purchase the new truck. Well, my dad liked the white truck. He said, man, I don't want you to do that. I'll buy it back from you. Let me just refresh your memory. Ninety-two, he bought it. 97, he gave it to me. 2001, he bought it from me so that I could buy a bigger truck. When we, moved to, uh, when we moved to Toledo, Ohio in 2004, in 2005 we had some car difficulties and we were trying to get everything working. Our family was growing. And in 2005, dad gave me back that truck so that I'd have a vehicle uh, to drive. So we'd have two vehicles. When we moved here in 2008, I had a van, I had a, uh, my little white truck, and I had my big uh, uh, green truck. And so we were trying to figure out what to do. I didn't really need two trucks, but I could not get rid of the green truck because it's what pulled my trailer. And at that point, I still owned the trailer, so I was I had to keep it. And so Dwayne, in 2009, bought my white truck, and uh, that was all well and good. He had it. I had the green one until next door. They came over one day, and they said, what are you doing with your truck and trailer? I said, I don't know. And they ended up just walking over and buying it right on the spot, and uh, our van had had given up the ghost, and so we were able to get another van. And so now I'm without a truck. I needed that truck. And so in 2010, I bought that truck back from Dwayne. And uh, I have kept it ever since and I've determined I'm going to keep it because uh, at that point that truck I think is destined to stay with me. This year that truck is 25 years old. I can go get them antique plates and put on that white truck. That's one of the things that the word means to redeem, to buy back. It once was yours and then it wasn't and now it is again. And then the, the, the last thing or, or, or a final definition is to recover something that was pledged by payment or other satisfaction. I have never done this. I don't know if you ever have. I, I don't know that I understand all of how it works. But pawn shops do this. You can go to a pawn shop and you can, you can give them something of yours. And they will give you money. It, it, it really is a loan but but sometimes you'll never pay that off and, and they will keep your property but at some point you can go back and you can redeem what you have given them and you can redeem it. Can I tell you today that all three of those is indicative of the redemption that God has done in my life. First off there was a debt that I could not pay There was a debt on my soul that there wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough good karma. There wasn't enough of anything that could redeem my soul from from the wages of sin that the Bible says is death until there came a point where God redeemed it. God paid off the loan and he did it. Not only did he just do that, he bought me back. He created me, but another verse in the Bible says that we got to the place where we were like our father the devil meaning that, that, that somehow we had gotten out of sorts and, and we were no longer the Lord's, but He bought us back. He redeemed us. One of the greatest ways to explain the depth of God's redemptive love towards you and I is to dive into the story of Hosea and Gomer in the book that bears his name, the book of Hosea. And, and uh, I, I, I don't have time to, to read every verse in that, You're going to have to just trust me that it's in there. And I I challenge you, go home and read it. Uh, If you like to read novels, then I I challenge you, go read Francine River's uh, book, Redeeming Love, one of the best historical fiction novels you'll ever read concerning the book of Hosea. But in in the book of Hosea, in the the Bible, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berea, in the days of Uzziah, and Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord came to to Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take of thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed a great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you could uh, interpret that. I choose to interpret it this way, and I think it's probably a more correct interpretation is not to insinuate that Hosea was a prostitute or a harlot when she was married, but rather that she was the daughter of a spiritually adulterous people. And because of the sin that was rampant in Israel, it was already inside of her an inclination to stray, and because of that spirit of harlotry and the spirit of those whoredom tendencies, it was evident very quickly in the marriage of Hosea and Gomer that Gomer played the, the, the part. She left. As you begin to delve into the story and the lineage, children become are beginning to be born. And, and commentators tell me, and as I study it, it's clear that these children that are born to Gomer are not Hosea's that she has played the part so well that now offspring are coming from her relationships outside the bonds of marriage and these escapades and there's a correlation that you see not only between Hosea and Gomer but between God and his people. The first child is born. They call him Jezreel. It literally means God scatters. The second child, Lo, Rahama, it means to not pity them. And then lo, ami, means not my people. There's an old adage that says love is blind and perhaps for a while that may be true. Or maybe it's that love turns a blind eye for a while on the unfaithful tendencies of Gomer. But nevertheless, Hosea comes home one too many times to an empty home. He has children whom he loves, but they're not his. And his wife, his pride and joy, his world is not there. Maybe it was a day that that, uh, Hosea walked in and the fire was not kindled there. The children were hungry. The bed had not been made. The house was empty with her presence. And he sits there in that empty house and begins to brood. The children are asleep. All of those signs that he had overlooked of her unfaithful tendencies now mock him. And the more he thinks about it, the madder he gets. And he begins to stream, scream at the heavens with the fury of a man whose love has betrayed him. He is mad. He, he, he is researching divorce lawyers. He's ready to, if he can find her, He he in his mind, he's ready to do her harm. He says, and it's kind of a, what i'm about to read is is really the 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 thoughts being put to paper that run through your head all of us have been in situations in our life where where if we would ever put what we're thinking on paper it might scare you a little bit this is one of those he he's talking to his children but they're asleep he's not really talking to them he says he says, go talk to your mother. Please, she's not my wife. I'm not even her husband. Tell her to go put away all of these escapades from away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm not going to have mercy on her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick her out of the house. I'm not going to even let her bring the clothes that I gave her out. I'm going to just make her like a wilderness, a, a dry land. I hope she dies of thirst. Your mother has played the heart of it. She's conceived these in a shameful manner. Let her go play it. Let her go out. And he's so mad, and tears, hot tears, are streaming down his face. He's pleading with whoever in that darkened house will listen. And he tells, he says, tell her to go put away her garish makeup. Go put away the suggestive clothing. Stop playing the prostitute. If she doesn't, I'll fence her in the desert with thorns so she can't find. I'll take back everything that I've ever given to her. And in the middle of that tirade, God knocks on his mind. And suddenly, Hosea begins to realize that what he is going through A man whose wife has been unfaithful is exactly what God has gone through with an unfaithful Israel. He begins to think about the times that man has left God and ran to do his own sinful desires. Perhaps the, the lines that were penned by David come flooding back to Hosea's mind. Psalms 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness. Have mercy upon me, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. I, I have a set of books Some of them are in my office here, some of them are in storage, some my dad has. But they were books that were written at the turn of the 1900s by the name of Dr. J.W.G. Ward. And they are phenomenal books. I'm very careful when I read them because of their age. But uh, he wrote a book called The Portraits of the Prophets in 1930. And each chapter is about one of these prophets you don't know a lot about. Hosea or Micah or Amos. But in that, he writes, and I'm quoting now this paragraph from, from Dr. Ward. He wrote that it was then that a truth of tremendous import flashed upon him was not the human husband, a, divine, or a counterpart of the divine husband, which is God. What Gomer had done to Hosea, Israel had done to Jehovah. Both had entered into a holy compact, a happy union, joy, and peace had been born. But then the wrong that Gomer had inflicted on Hosea had also been committed by Israel against God. The unfaithful wife was a type of the er erring and faithless nation which had chosen another in place of him who had been both protector and provider. And again, in what the human heart felt in its outraged esteem, its sense of desolating separation, God must feel in an infinite Degree, the waywardness of the beloved stabs the faithful like an assassin in the dark and it's true of man's love but how much of more truth is it of God's and such was the revelation that came to Hosea this revelation changes the tone of Hosea's voice And as Hosea sits in that darkened room and he he knows the unfaithfulness that has been gone, in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14 the tone changes because Hosea realizes man has been so unfaithful to God. And so it is that in... Uh, chapter 2, verse 14, instead of saying, I'm gonna throw her out on the street, I'm gonna fence her in, and I hope she, she starves to death, and I, I, I hope this happens, and I hope the fleas of a thousand camels infest her armpits, or whatever it is that she, he wanted to curse on her. You know, I've never heard that, huh? You've said things similar to that. That's the only one I could say across the pulpit. But, but you know how our brains, our mind gets, we get so mad. But he changes, and he says, therefore, behold, hold on, wait a second. That's not the right thing. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfortably to her. He was saying, I will woo her. I will draw her unto me. I still love her no matter what she has done. This, this thought process that begins to course through the mind of Hosea, Is the same thing that courses through the mind of our Savior when he looks at an unfaithful sinner that's walked away. Gomer's life, uh, there's about eight things, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Uh, She finds out that sin was a lie. She was deceived in thinking that all of these guys she could go running to. This is what they would do. But Gomer found out very quickly, and you can read it in Hosea. All they did was use her and toss her aside. She didn't get what she thought she would have. The love that she chased wasn't there. She found that sin was a delusion. That sin is naturally treacherous. It offers much pleasure, but in the end you're truly, uh, cruelly betrayed. It offers itself as a friend. She sought pleasure. But ended up being cast aside. She found that sin was separation. And it's there that, that... There we go. I'm missing part of my notes. Let's get them back in order. It's there she found that sin was a perversion. It was a crooked, distorted thing. She found that sin was servitude. The Bible makes it very plain in the stories told within the pages of the Bible, that sin is a slavery, is slavery. You, you could look at Gomer, but what about Samson, the whole nation of Israel? What about those that have to pay the price of servitude for their sin? Hosea, or rather Gomer, Gomer, she found that that sin was emptiness. Nothing, she got nothing out of it. Failure, defeat, disgust, disappointment, are written all over the life of a sinner. The rewards of sin is confusion and dissatisfaction. She found out that sin is a mistake. I'm convinced that all who sin discover sooner or maybe it's later that they made a mistake. And and, and perhaps I could postulate that that Gomer walking around in her, uh, 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 her, her emptiness. I wonder if there were times that she said, I wish I could go back and make it right. But her guilt, her shame, kept her away. It was, however, you find in the story of Hosea that she found found out that sin ruins the life of any type of hope. And the story turns there in Hosea that Gomer is now a cast-aside, broken woman who somehow ends up on a slave auction block, a life in ruin A life without hope. Robert Kerr is the pastor in Norman, Oklahoma of the Bethel Baptist Church and he had written kind of a a visual image of that auction block. He he talks about how it was the town square. Everybody was there. You need a servant. You need a slave. This is where you went. The auctioneer puts that woman there and and, and there's nothing much to look at. She stands there uh, abused without hope, without happiness. She has nothing on, nothing around her, nothing going for her. A slave, if you will, to her very sin. And the auctioneer, I can imagine, starts that auction very low. There's nothing desirable here. This isn't a big strapping man that can do work there in the fields. It's not a lady that you want around to clean. She's a broken lady. And the, the auctioneer starts it slow. Could it be that with her head bowed, with her eyes closed, just resigned to whatever fate comes. She remembers Hosea. She remembers the love. She remembers her children. She remembers everything that she lost. It's very much like the prodigal son who, in the pig pen, out in a foreign country with no money, came to his senses and realized that even the servants at his dad's home had it better than he did. She remembers all of those one-night stands and and affairs and how they dragged her down and down. This worthless woman, the bid's not very high. And so uh, uh, when someone, you know, begins to bid, it doesn't even raise. It's not even one of those where people get into a bidding war. Perhaps a bid is given. She doesn't even look up when the winner of that bid approaches. But all of a sudden, a robe is put around her shoulders. And a soft voice bides her to come home. Tears begin to flow down her face as she recognizes the voice. She has been redeemed off of the auction block by the one who loved her first. It was Hosea. Hosea went to the auction block. Hosea found the one that caused him the hurt, caused him the pain, caused him to break up, caused him all of that, and he purchased her freedom. redeemed. By the one she hurt. What a love that must be. Can I tell you today as I read earlier in our in our text Psalms 49:6 that no it doesn't matter how much wealth you have you cannot redeem your soul. However, The psalmist goes on to say in Psalms 130 and verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, in in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let me say that again. That love is when you are redeemed by the one you've hurt the most. I'm redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to Him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. Isaiah wrote this. He said, Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. He that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou Art mine. All you have to do is start to take a visual walk. See, here's the thing. You need to understand this that when you repented of your sins and when you were washed in the blood of Jesus by the waters of baptism, God forgets your sin. That's biblical. The Bible says that God forgets your sin, He casts them so far, like the east is from the west. I could start walking west, and I could walk until uh, I die, and I would never be going east. If I walked north, I'd go north until I hit around the North Pole, and then I'd be going south. It's it's why he said, as far as the east is from the west. But here's the thing, you and I don't forget. God doesn't give us amnesia. God doesn't take it away. So what that means is, God doesn't forget your sin I'm sorry, God forgets your sin, but you and I don't. So you can take a walk back in your past and you can remember every horrid thing you've done. You can remember spitting in the face of God. You can remember walking away. And, and, and while I'm not trying to make God a, 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 and put human qualities on Him, Hosea it, uh, lent the, the conversation to the fact that there was a God in heaven that's grieved when we walk away grieved when man sin grieved that he had to put Adam and Eve out of the garden it's a God that sits there if you will in the loneliness of heaven and says I created man for my glory I long for a relationship with him but man has walked away but he said oh this one thing I know Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God but we being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ God said it's okay I've I've let them walk their course. I've let them walk in their sin. I've let them walk in their unfaithfulness. I've let them walk and play the harlot. I've let them do all of that. But I am here and there will be a time in which sin has used them up and cast them aside. But I will step there to that auction block and I will buy back those that hurt me the most. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, But of him... Are you in Christ Jesus, who of God made us unto wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption? Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law because it was made, the, the, the curse was made for us as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Redeemed. Ephesians says this, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians, it's the same writer, it's Paul, but he wrote to the church there in Colossians, he said, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews and I I remember teaching this last year that Christ the high priest of a good thing to come uh, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building and neither will it be by the blood of goats or calves but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us and Peter I think said it best for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's redemption. Uh, 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 Brother J.T. Pugh, one of our elder statesmen, uh, incredible pastor, prolific writer, He's, he's... He's passed on to his reward now. He wrote a book, and and in this book, and it's about grace and mercy, he talks about those that do despite to the spirit of grace, those that use God like a doormat to wash their dirty feet, those that just say, I can do whatever I want to do, and then I can just say a little cheap prayer, and I can stand under the... As someone said I can stand under the spout where the glory comes out And just kind of wash my old dirty life And then go on and do whatever I want to do See that's why it's important to understand the word redeemed This isn't cheap This isn't something that just kind of happens It's not just uh, breaking something and looking at daddy and saying Oh I'm sorry and everything's alright You have to understand the depths in which the Lord went to redeem your soul Later on next week, we'll talk about restore, and that's a whole nother level, a whole nother facet of our salvation, to realize that he became our propitiation. It's a fancy word that means he became our substitute. He took our place. John said, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours also, but for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation is followed through the book of 1 John. Hebrews 2, 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation, in word to be our substitute for the sins of the people. Can you understand what God has done for you? Can you fathom with me the love that causes a holy God that is perfection I mean you can't get any more perfect and holy than he is. Can you fathom the love that causes a holy God to redeem such a wretched people? Now I know I'm talking to the choir. I I know that 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 the vast majority if not all You've experienced that already. When we sing that song, I'm redeemed, your voice lifted, especially those of you that know it. Some of you young people took a few verses to go through it before you got it. But When you've experienced that redemption, you sing that song just a little bit louder. I'm redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. I don't have to hang my head. I can say it, but the, the fact remains. Whether you've experienced the redemption or not, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Today, if I could, we stand before a judge's bench. If you allow me to use my imagination, Satan, the prosecution, sits there with a stack of files that lists all of your sins. We stand alone, the court is called to order, and God, the judge, takes a seat. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, begins to rattle off all the things that you've done wrong. In fact, I'll tell you that he even quotes Bible to make his case to prove that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death. And you're a liar and a cheater and whatever it is. And he tells God that you are guilty beyond every reasonable doubt. And you'd have to stand there in shame knowing that for once the devil's telling the truth. Everything that was said you've done, you're guilty. Until that judge steps back from his bench. And he takes off that black judge's robe. Instead, he puts on a robe of flesh. And he comes from behind the judge's bench and he stands before a wooden cross. Trades that white powdered judge's rig wig for a crown of thorns. He hands the soldiers the gavel that he usually bangs to say guilty, and allows those soldiers to beat the nails into his hands and in the feet. In the middle of that courtroom of heaven, Satan watches as Jesus is raised, crucified little did he realize what was happening for three days later Jesus arose and the trial proceeded again Satan you're correct Brandon Buford was guilty but I became his sin I took his sin upon me and yes you were right Satan the wages of sin is death you're right only blood can cover that so Satan I shed my blood, not just for Brandon Paul Buford, but I shed it for Don Cozart. I shed it for Dennis. I shed it for, and he goes on, for the promise is not unto you only, but it's to your children and to your children's children, unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That book of judgment is quickly opened. There no longer can your name be found. And so they put that book aside and they grab the book of life and as they open that there in letters of red your name is found. removed from the judgment put in the promise. Substitute the propitiation the redemption given for our sin. Can you fathom the mercy of a God that took your place? To understand, even if you've been saved for many years, to get a fresh understanding of the one that bought your freedom with his own blood. Who released mercy from behind the veil. Who allowed mercy to escape, to be openly and freely touching the lives of those here today. Jesus, our Redeemer. Would you stand with me? Would you lift your hands? I feel the presence of God in this place. Sometimes we've just got to be reminded of those simple words. Sometimes we have to be reminded of the important thing that happened when when he died for you and I. Would you just lift your hands? And would you just call upon him for a moment? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He loves you.